Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everyone. This is Lee, the appraiser from the world-famous APR 57 Gallery here in New York City for another episode of Amazing Appraising. And hope everyone is well and good health. And as we are hopefully opening up the economy in the city here, things are slowly hopefully getting back to a little normality. Hopefully we will see a lot of our friends and clients that we haven't seen in many months getting back to normal here. What do we got to talk about this week? So a couple very interesting things. We're going to be talking about a couple unusual items that we have seen for appraising. I don't know how many of you have seen ESPN ran a special, I think 30 for 30, on the unusual life, like a documentary on the world-famous martial artist Mr. Bruce Lee, who came to prominence as one of the very first Chinese actors did martial arts and became famous here in the States. I recommend anyone who has not seen this documentary to make sure they see it. Again, it's 30 for 30, I think, on ESPN. I saw their repeat last night, and it was just fascinating how it showed his life, which there's very, very little footage, film, documentary, pictures on. You know, he he was like an amazing movie star, but just for a very, very short period of time. Came to prominence really through an action TV series called... Uh, the Green Hornet, which I think it lasted less than a year, whatever this TV station did, decided not to renew it because there was just not that much demand for that type of show. It went on to really detail his life and all his issues, and really, he was an amazing person, an amazing fighter, amazing personality. You know, it shows how he, he went, I think it was ABC at the time, and he went to push them for a series about a Chinese like martial artist. So they wrote the series, as I recall. The series was called Kung Fu. Yes, I was a young kid in uh, high school at that time, and it was really one of my favorite shows. It showed this actor, it, the act, the role, the head act role, although he was pleading, they wrote it for him, and he was pleading that he would star in it. The executives at the station felt that they did not want it was two reasons, I believe. They did not want a Chinese person was capable of handling that type of role, meaning the public would embrace him or embrace a Chinese actor. Lead in that role was number one. And number two was they were concerned with the fact that his English wasn't perfect and he would have too much of an Asian Chinese accent. I believe those were the two reasons that the TV studios gave for negating him in that role, which what they wrote, and I think, or he wrote for them. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices 
in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. Welcome back, everyone here. This is Lee the Appraiser from Amazing Appraising from APR 57 Gallery. So they actually picked this American actor by the name of David Carradine, who became the star of that show. And I'm guessing, just based on my memory, it, I think it lasted several years. It was probably done in the 1800s, maybe, late 1700s, early 1800s is when it was supposed to be have filmed. It was like a Chinese like walker who, who just went from town to town in the Midwest with the cowboys and everything like that, and all of them, you know, picking on him, making fun of him, and he would basically just uh, keep to himself, and then when they attacked him and they provoked him enough, uh, he would defend himself. He never killed anyone, but he certainly caused a lot of bruises and damage to the people that started up with him. And it was a very, very interesting series. It had flashbacks of him as a little boy, and I don't know how many people out there remember the nickname that his uh, master teacher would give him. Any guess? Is hair Miss Blue? No? No? <laughs> Not a clue. Not a clue. I thought you never watched that show? <laughs> I guess the answer is no. <laughs> so they had flashbacks of him growing up as a ba- like as a little kid yeah. in the monastery. All right. And his master would call him Grasshopper. That's what it was. I actually that was on the tip my first guess. And okay. I, I doubted it. I doubted myself. Okay, you heard it here first, everyone. Blue had grasshopper on the tip of her tongue. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, it was <laughs> it was just a very, very, it was a great show. It had a lot of euphemisms there, and it talked about the ancient Chinese culture and how, how they would train the monks, how the monks would fight, and everything was really in self-defense. It was just amazing. Well, they don't have that kind of TV anymore here in uh, in today's world, right? But anyhow, so Carradine, David Carradine got the role for that part and made him a star. So uh, Bruce Lee got terribly upset when the role went to somebody else. And he then decided that he was going to go into the movies. And he really, I think he did a couple small things here with Chuck Norris. And then he decided to go to China. And that is, of course, uh, where he became a superstar. And now, long story short, is at the very young age of 32, when they just released, I think it was Enter the Dragon, he had a headache one morning right before they were about to premiere the movie, and his assistant gave him some, I don't know, some medication or something to relieve his migraine headache, and uh, he went to sleep, and uh, she tried to wake him up a few hours later, and he never woke up, and they called it, I guess, a brain aneurysm. They did say they believed it was something to do with the medication he took, and just a crazy, crazy story. So anyhow, so anything, any memorabilia that one has, letters, signatures, photographs, original photographs, uh, material memorabilia of him, by him, we would certainly be interested in. You know, his movie, when uh, when it came out, it was actually came out in the States here, it, was, it debuted Right after he died, it grossed over $200 million, and that was in 1973. That's almost 50 years ago, which is an astonishing amount of money. So he died at the young age of 32. He was 
considered to be, and obviously other, you know, he was considered to be in, in, in great health as a martial artist and extraordinarily thin and trim and in great shape. So anyhow, a number of years ago, we purchased this very unique item, which is a health certificate that was issued to his son, Brandon Lee. Brandon was a very, very young boy when Bruce died, and uh, Brandon followed his footsteps to some degree where he became a martial artist and he did some movies. So in this movie here, we have a health certificate that was dated, stamped and dated May 16, 1991. It was for the Fox Pirate Enterprises. The movie was called Moving Target, starring Brandon Lee. And they check off all the boxes here that he's in perfect health and everything like that. So what I found unusual is actually why would they fill out a health certificate for a, I guess at that time he was maybe, I guess he was probably about 26 years old around. Why would they fill out a health certificate? You know, I always like to figure out when I see a document, I see an item, a piece of memorabilia, and I look at it, what are the reasons behind certain things about it? So why would they typically, let me give you my thought here, why would they typically give or have a young man who appears to be in perfect health with no real issues, why would the movie company, the production company, request from him a health certificate? I think the answer is this to be honest. It actually says here, question number four says, when did you complete your last examination? It says January 1st, 1991. And what were the results? And he says, perfect health. Okay. So in my opinion, the reason that this certificate was filled out is because for really the same reason as his father, meaning, for example, let's just say the budget on this film, I'm going to take a guess, let's just say it was $2 million, all right? So typically when you, a friend of mine, a close friend of mine is making a movie actually in Israel. He, I mean, didn't start it yet, but he's just, he's negotiating and finishing up with the production company there. So he has a lot of loose ends that he has to tie up. So one of the things is, is that they want to make sure that the actors and actresses are in good health so they don't get sick or hurt during the production of the movie. So, you know, let's just say you have a superstar, Daniel Craig there, you're paying him $20 million to star as James Bond. You want to make sure that if something happens to him, which in fact it did, was I think the last filming he broke his ankle and he was out of commission for at least several weeks. You want to make sure that the either the production can continue, which it's not going to do for a little while if he's really injured, or the cost is going to be reimbursed by the insurance company, so if Mr. Craig is injured and out of commission for three weeks, it's costing the movie the movie company, they have everything budgeted and everything scheduled on a daily basis. So if he's out for three weeks, it's going to cause him a great loss financially in filming the movie. So for argument's sake, I mean, what I guess they could do is they could move around a couple scenes and stuff like that, but that still could cost them many millions of dollars. Or they might have to just halt everything if they're in the middle of something and if he's in the last scene and they can't film that, which would also cost them millions of dollars to delay it and then millions of dollars to get back and start production or start shooting three weeks later. So they could easily lose 10, 15, 20 million dollars based on an injury. So what happens typically on any large business project is they will get insurance for this type of of casualty or catastrophe prior to it happening. 
So my guess is that this movie, even though it wasn't very expensive at that time, but let's just say, argument's sake, the budget was $2 million. They wanted to make sure Brandon Lee, in my opinion, this is my speculation, that Brandon Lee would not get harmed or primarily die based on the same way his father did, meaning that they looked at him and they said, here, your father died at 32 from unknown circumstances, and he was a healthy fine specimen. What happened to him, we don't know. So they felt that there was a possibility, and let me make this clear, that people that put up the money, so it's probably what happened is the investors, the producers who were putting up the money to film this project, to film this movie, wanted to make sure, or the investors did, that Mr. Brandon Lee is in good health and is going to finish this, and God forbid if something happens where he gets hurt or dies, they will be covered of any loss during the temporary non-production of the film. So they took out an insurance, a life insurance policy, probably also a health policy, against Brandon Lee in the event something happened so they'd be protected. That's the only way I could figure out that such a young man would have an insurance policy, you know, for no other apparent reason other than the fact that his father passed at an early age. So I think this is very, very cool. We have this original document. It's about 8 by 10 inches. It's an original health certificate that's made out to the movie co- from the movie company, the production company, Fox Pirate Enterprises. So I'm guessing that is the original Fox movie company. The name of the examinee is Brandon Lee. The mo- name of the movie is called Moving Target. It says here he was at the, actually at the age of 26 at the time this was done. He was in perfect health, had a physician check him out. He filled out everything here and stamped and dated or approved and with his signature on the bottom. So I think this is a really cool piece. Again, anything relating to Bruce Lee, we are extraordinarily interested in seeing, evaluating, appraising, and authenticating. That's our little story here about Mr. Brandon Lee and this unique piece of memorabilia that we have here. And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Get a pen, everyone. Introducing the exciting SendTheFrame.com, a factory direct headquarters for your photo frames and personalized gifts. All delivered overnight. SendTheFrame.com is the authorized distributor of gift brands everyone wants, including Reed Barton, Nambe, Kate Spade, Dennis Daniels, Mariposa, and hundreds more. SendTheFrame beats any price so they can become your go-to choice without any worry. Frames for your graduations, birthdays, weddings, choose from all materials of silver, crystal, fine woods, all at Sendaframe with next day delivery and custom engraving. Listeners of this special appraisal show get an additional 20% off when they use code LEE. That's L-E-E, LEE. The secret's out, everyone. Don't know what to give? Sendaframe.com for all your framing needs. Welcome back, everyone here. This is Lee the Appraiser from Amazing Appraising from APR 57 Gallery. So what we have here, what I'm holding, again, if you're just listening to me on the radio, you have to be a little creative. We have a record here with its original album cover of Bob Dylan, and it's called Nashville Skyline. And it is a very beautiful portrait picture of him with the original record label there. This was one of his, uh, I believe, one of the very top sellers, and it's signed by him in black Sharpie ink, we call that. Extraordinarily beautifully custom-framed and matted. Bob Dylan, of course, was one of the great writers, songwriters of our generation, one of the most unique singers. You know, I've heard many comedians talk about how the fact that you know, I don't know how they could judge he's great. I mean, I can't understand one word he's ever said. You know, that's part of his mystique style. A friend of mine, I think, saw him last year in person, I think in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia somewhere. 
What's unusual about this, other than the fact that it's a signed record, is that he is probably the scarcest, one of the scarcest living celebrities whose autograph is available. He hardly signs anything. 99% of the things that he purportedly signed are not by him and they're not genuine. This came from a collection of which the person received it, and we have it on the back there. It's a certificate from the largest and most credible and high-end bookseller in the world. They, they specialize in selling first edition books and rare autographs upwards of a million dollars and they got it uh, from somebody who got it directly from Dylan. It is certified, it is authentic, it is guaranteed. A gorgeous original album uh, with his beautiful signature on it. So he is probably one of the, again, one of the scarcest autographs from anybody that is alive today. Let's see here. Anyone know about a sports autograph? Take guesses who would be one of the, the rarest and most difficult signatures to get from a sports personality today. Any guesses? Okay, so it's, the person has to be living. That's one of the criteria, because if they're not living, it's going to be much more difficult to get. But anyhow, so I will tell you, I'm just thinking about this for the first time off the top of my head. Up until a couple years ago, there was a basketball player, one of the very first black players, and the first black player, I think, in the Celtics organization. His name was Bill Russ. I think he won, if I'm not mistaken, I think 11 championship rings. He never signed for anybody. So his signature up until a couple years ago was considered considered the rarest, scarcest, and most valuable living signature of a living athlete. Now, what happened was, I guess probably about 10 years ago or so, he was approached by one of the major sports promotion companies, I think it was Upper Deck, and they made an exclusive deal with him. I don't know exactly the terms, but let's just say they said, here, Mr. Russell, we're going to give you $500,000. We're going to have you sign for us every year. We want whatever it is, you know, 5,000 items, and we want you to guarantee that you will not sign for anybody else. That is called an exclusive uh, representation signature contract, and I believe Russell did that with Upper Deck, and then his signatures became more available. But initially when they came out, they were selling wholesale for $1,000 a piece. This is when he made the deal. Before he made the deal, they were basically priceless uh, because whoever had one, you know, maybe gave a couple to a kid here and there. But So let's see who off the top of my head. So I will tell you that it's not quite as valuable as that, but Sandy Koufax, basically when he retired from baseball, he moved to Hawaii and that's where he's been living. And his signature is extremely rare. You rarely see them authentic and certified. So I would say he's up there, you know, wholesale value anywhere, probably three to five hundred dollars. Off the top of my head, let's see who else. So if somebody is very sick, that would categorize them as being alive and probably not able to sign anymore. I don't want to even mention anybody like that. Unfortunately, we lost this year. We lost Hank Aaron, I think just about two months ago. By the way, I'm going to plug a uh, an interview with Lenny Dykstra coming up very shortly. The championship 1986 New York Mets All-Star, center fielder, a leadoff hitter. So we have a special interview scheduled with him in the next few weeks. So keep posted at this station for when you can hear the show and that's supposed to be an unbelievable interview for Lenny Dykstra. Okay we're going to take a short break and we are going to be right back. 
Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. This is Lee the Appraiser back from a short break about amazing appraising here, APR 57 Galleries in New York City. And again, we're going to talk about what's hot and what's not. Well, in the sports collector memorabilia world, nothing is really not hot. Everything is scorching today. I was just reading they had an auction of some memorabilia and they finished it up last week. And the same auction last year sold for their annual sale was like $4 million. And their auction last week for the same sale was 4D5, $45 million. So it exceeded by over 10 times last year's total. And I just got a call from one of my friends at one of the PSA grading corporation corporate offices where they told me today they have approximately 10 million cards in their system to be graded. 10 million cards. So if you submit a a card there today, it's probably not going to be graded for at least a year. So I guess that's pretty funny that you can actually submit a card today, and by the time you get it back, it's going to be an antique and be valuable. Okay, so talk about playing the market. I never thought of it that way, but that's pretty cool, you know, so you can put down an insured value of $100, and when you get back, it's going to be an insured value of $1,000. You have a chance, by the way, they have a box when you fill out the application that in case you're not alive, you can leave it to your heirs by the time they get it back to you. Okay, and if you move, they'll let you... You know, change the address to a retirement home in Florida. You gotta play the right cards. Huh? You gotta play the right cards. Play the right cards. I like that, Miss Blue. (laughs) Very cool. Anyhow, we we are submitting a a, a number of uh, collectibles to them. Uh, We're handling a very large collection. So everything is super hot in that. If anyone needs their cards graded, evaluated, authenticated, we are the place to go. We are in New York City. We have a brand new 4,000 square foot gallery. We're happy to look at them and give you a verbal estimate and approximation of the value. We're happy to tell you which ones we believe should be graded and which shouldn't. 99% of the cards that we see do not fit the mold to be graded and we can grade them for you informally and tell you what they're worth and to give you cash offers when we do so. I will tell you, by the way, we got a letter in from Greta Garbo. She was considered an extraordinarily big recluse, and her signatures and letters fetch a lot of money. We pay a lot of money for those. So if you ever have any of those by her, any of these players we're talking about, anyone that's rare, we'll be happy to give you a free appraisal and a very, very high cash offer. So the letter we have from her is that she's writing to her hairstylist. She does it like an alias. She pretends to be somebody else. 
it's a really cool letter. It does it under a fake name, which I found very, very interesting. We're looking over here. We have a Ted Williams over here. He's considered one of, was one of the greatest pure baseball hitters of all time. He actually made hitting a science. He talked about seeing the seams on the baseball, exactly where, when the ball came in, when he would swing. He had considered the best eyes, the most discipline, everything about that. So there's a, a long story about that. We're actually doing a huge appraisal and liquidation of a collection in Rhode Island about somebody who has a ton of Ted Williams items, which he acquired primarily directly from Ted Williams' son, who sort of controlled and manipulated part of the market. And I don't know if anyone's heard about this, but after Ted died, the boy, the son, wanted to have Ted Williams frozen and not buried and not cremated. And then hopefully when science was able to, medically able to revive him, that he would cash in on having Ted, Daddy Ted, sign another 50,000 autographs. True story. So he wanted him frozen. I don't know exactly what happened in the entire fight. The guy, his son died at a young age a couple of years ago. So he was fighting everyone else in the family saying that he wants to freeze Ted. So he was the last one, I think, who officially hit over 400. By the way, you know, I think we should do this more often. I actually happen to know about sports and sports memorabilia and sports trivia. So let's throw out a couple questions there and people can call or text us with the answers. And anyone, the first one that gets the answer will get a special gift. How about that? So let me throw a couple questions out there and see if you can get them relatively quickly. One would be, there's only one baseball player in history played on four different teams and hit at least 500 hits on those four different teams. That means he had to have a relatively long career, had to been a great player, and was on each team for at least, I have to guess, at least probably three years minimally, maybe four. He was a perennial all-star, I'd say, not every year, but overall. And again, he hit had at least 500 hits on four different teams in the major league. So that's the question here. And then we're going to give you another question. There's only one player in history that led the league in triples and home runs the same year. There's another interesting question. I think the only player to lead his team in home runs as a leadoff hitter. Try to stump you with those three questions. You get any one of those three correct and you will get a special gift, but you got to be the first one to do it. You can core text us at 212-246-2000 and we'll be happy to confirm the answers and give you a special gift if you're the winner. And we will also announce the winner on next week's show, so make sure you're listening. Okay, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Get a pen, everyone. Introducing the exciting SendaFrame.com, a factory direct headquarters for your photo frames and personalized gifts. All delivered overnight. SendaFrame.com is the authorized distributor of gift brands everyone wants, including Reed Barton, Nambe, Kate Spade, Dennis Daniels, Mariposa, and hundreds more. SendaFrame beats any price so they can become your go-to choice without any worry. Frames for your graduations, birthdays, weddings, choose from all materials of silver, crystal, fine woods, all at Send-A-Frame with next-day delivery and custom engraving. Listeners of this special appraisal show get an additional 20% off when they use code LEE. That's L-E-E, LEE. The secret's out, everyone. Don't know what to give? Sendaframe.com for all your framing needs. This is Lee the Appraiser back from a short break about amazing appraising here, APR 57 Galleries in New York City. Okay, so speaking on that, we are going to tell you I was offered something incredibly rare yesterday. Uh, a gentleman calls me up. He said he was recommended to us very highly. 
and he said that his family bought at auction, a charity auction, no less, probably 20 years ago, two Michael Jordan pieces. Okay, listen carefully, guys and girls. Okay, one is purportedly his last training jersey he ever wore. Okay, as you know, basketball players, before they play the game, they have a warm-up or training shirt and pants that they wear. The pants are full pants. You know, when they play, they rip them off and they play just in the shorts. And the shirts, they have a short sleeve, sort of like a tank top t-shirt, basketball uniform. And typically, again, during the warm-ups, they will wear like a practice jersey or uh, a practice jacket sometimes with them prior to them going into heavy warm-ups. So this is purportedly the last or one of the very last training jerseys he ever wore, signed, as well as a very unusual photograph. It was taken from, it appears, his book called The Last Dance. That's the title that I believe Phil Jackson gave the movie and book that he did of the last season of when the Bulls won their championship. And it's interesting to see that, so Phil Jackson, I believe, coined the phrase The Last Dance relating to the Bulls. And regardless, even if Jordan came back, it was going to be Phil Jackson's last dance because the story goes that Jerry Krause, the general manager, did not even want him on the team the last year he played. So Jerry told him initially he said you can't be here we got we're getting rid of you and that was it and then when Michael Jordan adamantly said that he will not play for another coach they had a gentleman's agreement where Jackson would coach one more year and Jerry Krause told him even if you win another championship you are not coming back under any circumstances so it was a very difficult time for both of them so this item that I was offered yesterday along with the jersey was a large photograph from it was like a lithograph from the last dance a lithograph means a print from the original drawing or etching or or photograph of Michael Jordan's last shot I think it was against Utah Jazz of which he made the basket what's unusual about it is not the photograph what's unusual about it is what he wrote there and I'm going to read you what he wrote so that's pretty cool. Hold on to your horses. Now, I have not, and I will stress this, I have not had chance to authenticate this item yet. From all indications are, it does appear to be original and in Michael Jordan's original script and handwriting. And I'm going to quote what, I, uh, what the item says in his hand. So it has him taking the shot, and then he writes there, the end is near. Once we were on the bottom, but now... We are high in the sky, underlining sky. What's next, question mark? Who knows? Where will you be to enjoy the memories, question mark? Are you going to laugh or are you going to cry? Truth be known for your might do both. How do you like that, MJ? So that's a very cool piece. So we are in the process of authenticating and appraising these two items. They are certainly two of the coolest pieces we have ever seen. And if anyone has any unique sports items, again, this gentleman was referred to us because he told a close friend about this and they recommended that he talk to an expert and talk to us, frankly, as somebody who knows how to authenticate this and evaluate it and give him a very good and correct and accurate assessment, appraisal, and offer on it. So we are in the process of doing that. If anyone has any other Michael Jordan things or unusual pieces from any of the other Bulls players, 
boxers, Muhammad Ali, anybody iconic. We would be very interested in seeing them, appraising them, evaluating them. So please feel free to call us or text us at our uh, standard number, 212-246-2000, and we'll be happy to get back to you shortly and evaluate whatever you have. If you have any friends that have these items, please don't hesitate to have them give us a call. They can bring them in person to our brand new gallery on 57th Street. Generally, there's never a charge for an informal appraisal, research, and evaluation. Okay, we'll be right back after a short break. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Buccellati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000, 212-246-2000, or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. Hey everybody, this is Lee the Appraiser. We are back again for another episode of Amazing Appraising. Here again with our very special guest, Bull Hall collector, Zach Campbell. Let's jump right back into the interview. Let's see here. So tell us what stadium is the most difficult to catch balls in? You, you mentioned Wrigley Field now, but which stadium would stand out to you as the number one stadium? Well, there's a few that are really tough. I think Bush Stadium in St. Louis is, is way up there as far as the place where I'm going to struggle the most maybe right now to put up numbers. They don't open the stadium very early, so you don't see much batting practice. It's always crowded. The outfield is very segmented. You never really have more than a two or three sections where you can run across the seats and reposition yourself. The bullpens are right in the power alleys and swallow up a lot of home runs. So I struggle a lot there. San Francisco is tough. The layout of the stadium is brilliant. There's walkways all over the place, but it's always crowded. And there is a culture of ball hawking there. I mean, every game, there's a hundred grown men who show up with gloves who are very competitive about catching balls. Even in batting practice, any home run that lands, it, it seems like there's six gloves all reaching up in the same spot. So that can be true tricky. City Field is tough. You know, terrible, terrible configuration out in right field. It's almost impossible to catch batted balls. They, they have all those restaurants out there, don't they, in, in the outfield, right? Yeah, the whole thing with City Field is no matter where you are, you're separated from the action. You know, in left field, there's a party deck down in front, which is basically inaccessible to the normal fan. In right center field, you have a huge gap between the outfield wall and the stands, you're like 420 feet from home plate. There's bullpens out in right center that swallow up the balls. Straight away right, you have this little fancy club with netting over it. You have the overhang of the second deck that blocks home runs. It's such a pain. Even in left field, there's an overhang. So a home run isn't really gonna land more than six or eight rows back. So it's like, if the stadium is only half full, fans are gonna be in the front few rows. And yet you need those front few rows to be empty to catch a ball in left field if you play deep, like I said, it's going to go upstairs to the second deck, but it's so far to reach the second deck in a way that it's not worth playing up there as your main strategy. So, you know, it's, it's a cool stadium overall. I, it's a pleasant place to watch a game, 
But for what I do, trying to catch balls and move around, security is so strict there. It's actually pretty low down on my list of places that I would choose to go. Do you collect anything else, by the way? I do. I've gotten well over a thousand autographs at games over the years, mostly on ticket stubs, mm -hmm. which is becoming harder and harder as tickets become electronic. So that's a, a specific collection that's unfortunately for me fading away. Of course, I could get other things signed, but I love tickets. I've also gotten, I think, 13 baseball bats from players at major league stadiums i've gotten a few dozen lineup cards either you know handed to me by a coach coming off the field i even got one from an umpire sometimes from the bullpen they'll peel one right off the wall at the end of the game i've gotten batting gloves i've gotten some wristbands baseball caps especially the last day of a season if a team isn't going to the playoffs players will take their hats off and throw them into the crowd but now you have netting blocking the dugouts all over the place so it's like i don't even know how you can really collect that stuff anymore in most stadiums so, so everything the netting goes the netting goes over what the top of the dugout is that what you're saying yeah just to prevent fans from getting drilled by line drives um, which I totally get. Fan safety is very important. Um, but again, if I'm just looking at it through the lens from my perspective as a collector, it's really tough. It, what I do is becoming increasingly difficult. There's more people who are fired up about it and into it. So it's more competitive, which I think is good. I think the competition makes it fun, but it just makes it harder also. And security is stricter and prices are increasing and there's netting all over the place. Players are less friendly now than they were a generation or two ago. It's, it's hard for an outsider to get a piece of the inside. So that's kind of what I do is I try to bring people to the inside with me and find ways to connect to the game and connect to the players. But yeah, like I said, it's it's getting increasingly difficult. So are you based in New York City? Yeah. Where you live? You live here? New York City, easy subway ride to Yankee Stadium, City Field. And do you do uh, anything else besides this? Is this your career, your profession now or what? It has become a full-time thing for me. Yeah, the, the main driving force in my life is my YouTube channel. So so that's very much a full-time thing. I travel to games. I would say I'm on the road more than half the time during a typical baseball season, often with my videographer. I work with corporate sponsors. I promote them in the videos. I run a business called Watch With Zach, where I take people to games. You know, I have a merch line now and I do shout outs on the app Cameo for people. And yeah, I mean, it's just like all baseball things kind of doing so all these YouTube things that generates income. And I guess right through, right through sponsors or advertisers or stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Google owns YouTube okay. and there are advertisements that run on my videos, which Google selects based on, you know, spying on people and listening on your devices and seeing what you're looking for. So they basically put ads tailored to people on the videos and I allow that on my channel. And so they're making money from the advertisers and they give me a portion of that money. So that's just basically how the monetization works. Uh, and just explain, Google will put an ad of somebody on your channel without firming with them prior that we're gonna put it on Zach's YouTube channel or how does that work? You know, I, I enable ads to be put on the videos you have to but does google, does google get i don't know let's just say starbucks okay i don't even know but let's just say starbucks is running an online campaign they will allow google to put it on your station without notifying starbucks that it's going on your specific station or they will say listen starbucks will say or google will say we feel your demographics are good for starbucks so they will do it on their own like google will do it on their own or they're going to get the authorization from starbucks prior to them putting it on your 
station. I don't think they're reviewing a channel by channel basis, but I'm sure the big corporations would work with Google and say, you know, we don't want to advertise on, let's say, channels that are showing firearms or like if there's something controversial, they might not want to advertise. But, you know, just like feel good baseball content, you know, is probably not going to worry any advertisers. But then again, there's a lot of kids who watch my videos and my demographic is like 90% male. Let's say a women's clothing company is probably not going to have their ads run on my channel. But Google knows that based on the animal. I got, I got everything is demographic. And I will, I will say that my videos generate more ad revenue because most of my viewers are in America. Whereas if most of my viewers were, let's say, in a country overseas where, you know, the people don't have as much money overall as a population, it's, you know, economically struggling then the advertisers aren't paying as much. Per I got it, ad. right, 100%. So, you know, it's fascinating to think about how this whole system works and it's cool to be a part of it. How long have you been, say, generating income through, I guess we'll call it social media marketing, uh, advertising, et cetera? 2016 was when it first started. I had already gotten um, more than a million views on my YouTube channel and I still wasn't monetized. It was just like a side fun hobby. Like, oh, I'll do some videos and share it with people. And I had a friend who was like, dude, you need to monetize that. And she showed me how to do it. And I told her, I said, if I ever make any money from this, the first thing I'm gonna do is take you out to lunch. And, you know, it took a couple of months, you know, before the, the first check rolled in, but we went and had a very nice Greek lunch with that first check from Google. You know, it's, it's definitely increased a lot since then. I mean, there are, YouTubers who make millions of dollars sometimes per month on their videos. I mean, there's like some five-year-old kid who opens up toys. I heard about that. He's the number one. Sure. I mean, there, there are people who do anything and everything. I mean, there's there's teenage girls who do makeup tutorials in their bedrooms. They're not hiring a videographer. They're not paying to travel all over the world. And they're making way more money than I am. Good for them. You know, like I found my weird little niche avenue that I, I've done pretty well in, but it's a grind for sure. All the, all the travel I do and I spend a lot of money to make these videos, but then it comes back to me. So, and what do you have? You have a you have a full time cinematographer, full time marketing person, part time. What do you have? Like a, sta- a small staff of two or three people to help you? Well, I have one main videographer. Mm-hmm. He's not on the payroll, so I guess he'd be you know an, an independent contractor. He he's right. he's a cameraman for actually various network television programs in New York. Okay, and he works for Major League Baseball as well as an instant replay tech on the field. So his schedule is pretty full, but he can also request days off. So whenever I want to do a trip, it's like, all right, don't book any days with the networks. Don't book MLB. We're going out for eight days. We're going to hit the Midwest. We're going to fly out to Chicago, rent a car. We're going to, you know, go to Milwaukee, Detroit, whatever. And then we come back and he does his other work and I pay him on a per video basis. And what did he actually film? Like, what does he film that I want to see? Like what's on the video that I understand you catch my handsome face. Hello. Huh? I said my handsome face. That's what people want to see. No, so the typical video for me at the ballpark is my entire day from beginning to end. The thing that people seem to love the most is me running around like a maniac catching baseballs. But that's not the only thing. Every video that I do has a narrative arc to it. So I get there very early before the stadium opens. I give an intro. I talk about what's special and interesting that might happen at this game run inside, try to catch balls, lots of action, sometimes interacting with the players, batting practice ends, I give a little recap of what went down, 
often go find some food. I eat the biggest, craziest thing at the stadium, go over to the bullpen or the dugouts, watch the players warming up, try to get some autographs, move around the stadium during the game, show different features, the architectural quirks, give scoreboard updates, and, you know, film the action here and there and try to run into as many characters as possible. And I wrap it all up at the end. And it's just, you know, it, it, it shows people how they can maximize their time at the stadium and really make it interactive and fun. And so a typical video like that, I guess that could be probably, I mean, it would take your time, probably about six hours, I guess we're talking about of your time, right? Right before the game, batting practice, during the game, after the game, closing. So on something like that, how do you, you edit that down to what? How, how much time on your video? I would say about 10 to 15 minutes is the average length. Sometimes it's a very quick day with not as much action. I mean, it's still, it's always going to be an entertaining video. I'm not going to drag it out to a certain length to reach that length. So if it's a shorter video, fine. I've done stadium videos more than 20 minutes sometimes if there's just endless Uh cool stuff happening. And it takes a long time to edit. I work with two guys, brothers in New Jersey who do editing for me. Sometimes I edit on my own. Uh, There are several other videographers that I have at my disposal who sometimes fill in for a game or two here and there. So it's, it's a massive undertaking. I don't have anybody running my social media for me. I do it all myself and it could be a full-time job just answering comments and emails from people because it's, it's endless and it's fun. And I love to interact with people, but sometimes I need to unplug from it all and, and do my best to get away from baseball. You know, as much as I love this, I actually enjoy my life in the off season even more when there is no baseball. Okay, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin Mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sport and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek, Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Breguet, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Von Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They'll also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000, 212-246-2000, or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. This is Lee, the appraiser, back with Mr. Zach Campbell, telling us about his very unusual experiences, ballpark to ballpark, Major League Baseball. Just a couple other questions, Zach. My understanding is that sometimes infielders in particular, when they scout the players and when they have a certain pitcher on the mound, they will play the player differently knowing how he's going to pitch, meaning, you know, if he pitches primarily him outside, he's primarily going to hit the ball to right field or something along those lines. You ever, uh, quote, scout the pitcher and have an idea, you know, play your position, play your fielding based on who the pitcher might be or not necessarily? A little bit. Sometimes I'll look at the pitcher's fly ball to ground ball ratio before the game. Mm -hmm. And if I see that the guy has an extreme fly ball ratio, meaning the batters are typically swinging underneath the pitches, 
that might be a good time to actually play for foul balls behind the plate if the stadium was built in a way that has some room to run. Like Detroit, for example, Comerica Park, they have a walkway behind home plate that actually has lines painted on the pavement designated as standing room. So anybody can go and hang out there. So like when Verlander was on the Tigers, if he was pitching, you know, I just knew that there'd be a ton of, of foul balls flying back. So I'll do stuff like that. But usually if I'm adjusting my positioning, it's based on who's hitting rather than who's pitching. I got it. Any other, any unusual stories you can tell us about any famous athletes that you inquired of over the years? Anything like in, any interactions with some of the players? Any very unusual balls that you caught? that you would say come to mind, circumstance? Well, I mean, one of the coolest interactions was having a press conference with A-Rod at Yankee Stadium. That I mean, it's hard to top that, but maybe the most fun player that I've ever gotten to know was Heath Bell, who came up with the Mets and moved on to the Padres. He replaced Trevor Hoffman as the Padres closer, made three all-star teams in a row. So he was at the top of his game for a while. When Heath was on the Mets, the Mets weren't very good. Like in 04, 05, there was nobody at those games, especially two and a half hours early when the stadium opened. So Heath got to recognize me. One time we played catch where I was in the stands and he was on the field, crouching like a catcher, giving me a target, calling balls and strikes. And he came over and asked me afterwards. He's like, dude, I see you out here all the time. What do you do with all these balls? But he was really cool about it. And he recognized me for years after, whenever he was in a different city and I was there, he'd come say, hey. And it got to the point where like, we are actually friends outside of baseball. I've stayed with him at his home in San Diego. We road trip to the World Series in LA in 2017 and you know he's he's just a super fun loving guy and it's refreshing to see a professional athlete willing to interact with a fan on that level not too many guys would do that but he is a special breed and we're Very still cool. I just love the guy so that's just one of many examples I mean I'm on a first name basis with Mike Trout also whenever he sees me that's fun well you guys you gave him that first ball that's got to be a yeah but you know, know it's like wrong opening statement right you know I feel like I would rather meet the worst major league baseball player than the best like A-list celebrity in Hollywood. Because for me, that's my world and that's special. And there's still the little kid in me that looks up to these guys, even though I think I'm probably older now than anyone in the major leagues, which is very disappointing. I don't know if Fernando Rodney is going to pitch this year, but that's about it. So uh, Bartello, didn't Bartello get a- Is Bartolo in, in the bigs this year? I haven't heard about I that. Know, I, think, I don't know. I think he had an opportunity. I, I don't know. Somebody invited him to spring training, I think. I don't know where he's holding right now. I think he was invited. He wanted to pitch another year. And But yeah, I'm, I'm basically older than all these guys, but I still look up to them. And, and now I have a lot of players who recognize me, which is weird. You know, like players will come over and they're like, I watch your videos here, put this on camera and they'll throw a baseball to me. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to get a kick out of that. And I, I just feel very privileged and lucky to be in this position that I am where I basically get to go to baseball games for a living and film videos. It is a ton of work, but it's fun. And this really is a dream job. And it's, it's cool to just meet so many people in the process and get to see and do so many cool things. And do you know much about sports trivia, by the way? I used to be great at it when I was a kid. Lately, not so much, but I would say baseball trivia, not, not sports. Baseball trivia is one trick most... pony. It's all baseball for me. Why? What do you got? What do I got? How about the only player to lead the league in triples and home runs the same season? 
Ooh, I like that. Man, it's probably got to be a long time ago. I mean, could that even have been Babe Ruth, I wonder? Or maybe No, no, it wasn't that long ago. And it came up uh, a couple years ago when he was nominated for the Hall of Fame and uh, when he got in there. And I think this was one of his very few records that that he has. Well, I know George Brett had a crazy season of hitting triples. I wonder if it was him. But he never led the league in home runs. I mean, he never. He was a home run hitter, but yeah, not. No, I don't think he had. Do you think he had over, over 35 ever? No, 30 maybe. I don't Did he hit about 300 in his career? Yeah, Brett, of course. I would say Brett averaged three, I would guess 320, but he was never a home run hitter. He was, he choked up on the back I'm, quite a bit. Don't you remember the tar incident, right? I meant, I meant hitting about uh, 300 home runs in his career. Oh, oh, yeah, but he played like almost 20 seasons. So, I mean, you know, that's um, not, uh, Wow. Lance Johnson never led the league in home runs. I'll give you a hint. You should get this. You know why? He was not a fast guy. And the only reason he has this record has to do with the fact that it was in the stadium he played. It I mean, Tiger stadium. stadium was 440 to dead center. Oh, wait a second. Maybe Colorado because those gaps are so expansive. It was oh, the- Larry Walker? It was the stadium that's most conducive for triples, and it's not Wrigley Field. I wouldn't think of Wrigley as a, a triples paradise. It's not paradise, but you know they're the only stadium that has the rule that a ground rule triple, you know what that is? A ball that gets stuck in the ivy would be oh, a ground a tri- rule triple. Yeah, that's the only stadium that had that that rule as a ground rule triple. That's a good trivia question by itself. So this stadium, it was, I'll give you a hint, the Green Monster. Wow. Oh, wait a second. Was it Jim Rice? It was Jim Rice. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I spoon fed you a little bit. Yeah. Was the, it was the stadium that made the whole triple. So that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 Once, once I had the stadium and not that long ago, I can visualize the back of his baseball card, the tops card with all those bold italicized numbers. Yeah. Those leading. were always right. That's records. That's leading the league in this, leading the Jim league Rice. in that. We're going to take just a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigitte, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-00 This is Lee, the appraiser, back from a short break. We have Mr. Zach Campbell here, the baseball collector extraordinaire, who's been telling us a little about his experiences and video channel and everything else he's been talking about. I want to give a special shout out to a very close friend of mine, Joe Schick, who suggested I call Mr. Zach, as well as a couple of other guests. He's in the process of producing a movie about the Six-Day War in Israel, and I'm wishing him the best of luck on that. Anyhow, Zach, so I want to thank you very much for speaking to us. So be well. We'll talk shortly. And I want to thank you very much for being a guest on our show. And we will hopefully be with you guys again next week on WOR Radio 710 at 8 o'clock. Okay, Zach, take care. Hey, same to you. Thanks for having me on. Take care. 
Did you know gold and silver prices are at an all-time high? If you have any gold, silver, or platinum coins, bullion, Franklin, mint items, diamonds, jewelry, art, antiques, paintings, French furniture, any Tiffany items, sterling flatware, Judaica, Oriental rugs, older baseball cards, sports and entertainment memorabilia, watches, especially better watches such as Rolex, Patek Philippe, Vacheron, Tiffany, IWC, Cartier, Brigat, Omega, Breitling, Bulgari, just to name a few. APR 57 Gallery will buy them all at the highest cash prices in any condition, even broken. APR 57 Gallery also needs any designer jewelry such as Cartier, Tiffany, Bucciolati, Van Cleef, Harry Winston, and Bulgari. Now is the time to cash out at the world-famous APR 57 Gallery on 57th Street in New York City across from Carnegie Hall. They also come to your home and do certified insurance appraisals. So if you have anything of value, call them for a free appraisal and high cash offer at 212-246-2000. That's 212-246-2000 or toll-free 1-800-772-0054. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.